My job is to figure out how do I facilitate that experience they want with a benefit for the company and the customers? Where's that crossover where we can all benefit? And figuring out how to be responsible for that process in the team is that that's really my job. At Data Futurology, we love creating events that can help you overcome the challenges that you're facing in your organizations right now. So I wanted to quickly tell you about a free webinar around accelerating MLOps. This is on the 26th of July at 11 a.m. We're going to be sitting with Romina Sharifpour from AWS, and she's going to tell us about how carsales.com.au was able to use their SageMaker platform to improve the creation, deployment, and operationalization of their machine learning models. So come join us for that really exciting webinar. For more details, please check datafuturology.com forward slash events. Thanks so much. Hope to see you there. I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers, and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs, as well as statement of work, project focus, data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from first-hand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with. Whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au. This is Felipe Flores. Welcome to Data Futurology. Today, I'm sitting down with a very special guest. Edward Chenard is joining us today. He is the Senior Director of Data Science and Analytics at Shipwell. Edward, how are you going today? Uh, today is a very good day. Thank you. Mate, thank you so much for making the time. It's great to see you. I'm really looking forward to spending some time uh, picking your brain, hearing about your experiences, your insights. I know that there is a wealth of knowledge there, so I'm keen to get started. I guess, first of all, uh, could you tell us your role and your remit in the organization at the moment, and then we can jump in from there. Yeah, so I work at Shipwell, which is a uh, logistics company. Really, the way I look at it is, we really build experiences for people by ensuring that they have the, the food, clothing, and other products that they need to, to live the life they want to live. I know a lot of other people just look at it just moving freight around, but really that's what we're doing. Uh, and then we work with a lot of great brands out there like Spindrift, uh, Kielbasa, that you know some people probably run into, at least here in the US. And my team, it's we really run it as a small, tight-knit group of data scientists and analysts and soon engineers and more data scientists. But we look at ourselves as sort of that, that forward-looking team for the rest of the organization, where we're really trying to figure out, hey, what's the future here? And how do we help build that? And how do we help our customers achieve what they're looking for through, you know, it could be something as simple as just automating a process or helping them predict how's their market going to uh, perform in the next six months. So it's actually a very exciting space to be in. Uh, I used to be in logistics and I used to think it was boring, but thanks to the pandemic, it's really become a really interesting space to be in. 
yeah, right. It's accelerated things so much, the, the digitization, um, and then by extension, the, the application of, of our set of um, experiences and technologies or capabilities, I should say, is it's definitely uh, opening new doors uh, in, the, in the industry. Um, I wanted to ask you, since you mentioned that you have analysts and data scientists and soon engineers, how, how do you find the, the process of getting um, support and investment for, for the engineering space? Um, and, and I ask particularly because I, um, I know that I, I have a, a hard time um, getting interest to invest on in, in the engineering space um, within data analytics that I find it much easier to get, to get support and investment to get data uh, scientists, data analysts, uh, insights analysts, et cetera, way, way easier uh, than, than engineers. So I wanted to um, get, get your thoughts. How do you find the, the process and do you, do you have much of a, of a difference? There, there is a difference. And what I found is the, the analysts and the data scientists, are, they're sort of the, the cool, sexy roles that every company wants to have. And the data engineers are kind of the unsung heroes in the background. And what I've always pointed out is, if you want to move fast, you want to move sm smoothly, you need data engineers. Hmm. There's a lot of analysts, data scientists that claim they can do the, the data engineering portion. And some of them can kind of do it. And I've met a very few that can do the engineering side just as well as a data engineer. But you really want somebody that can be in the background, just maintaining that stack, keeping things moving. I like to make the distinction that the data engineers are the plumbers. They're keeping everything working. Think of the data scientists and the analysts as the, uh, the scientists doing the, the chemical analysis on what's flowing through the pipes. So, yeah, they're really good at analyzing what's in the pipes, but if the pipe breaks, they may not be able to fix it. Yeah. And if that pipe breaks, you know, if you're at a large company, even just a couple hours can cost you millions of dollars. And that's why I think they're, they're extremely important. And yeah, we have some engineers, but, you know, just getting that more dedicated data engineer focus is, you know, something we're, we're ramping up here. Yeah, same, uh, same for me at work. Um, my in my day job, I work in healthcare, and we have um, data scientists and data analysts. <clears throat> and we've we are probably at the moment we have one or two data engineers um, looking to grow that. And um, but but yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I I wanted to yeah get get your thoughts on articulating the value, I guess, which you did which you did really well. So thank you, thank you for that. Um, then I wanted to jump into uh, what the last couple of years has been, and I know that that you've um, focused a lot on on uh, managing uh, remote teams. How so? I wanted to jump into that space for a bit. How has uh, the last couple of years been? And um, first, let's start. Let's start there, and then we can start on um, if uh, on any changes that you've done throughout this period. But how how have the the last couple of years been for you? Well, for me, you know, if we just look like the last decade, I've always had remote teams as part of the mix. But except for one guy who I promised, as long as he delivered, I'd never call him into the office. Everybody at least came into the office sometimes. Since that guy always delivered, I never actually saw him in person again after, <laughs> after I interviewed him. But 
after, you know, once we got into the pandemic, that whole remote aspect really changed because now it wasn't just a, you know, temporary thing where, you know, you're maybe get to stay home two days out of the week or something like that. It's, it's a permanent, you're at home. I'm at home. I've been at home the last few years and it's, as, as you get into it, you really start to pay attention to, as time went on, how being at home and sometimes being alone for some people really started to affect them. And I realized I have to pay a lot more attention to the mental health of my team. And I also have to get a little bit more personal with my team and just understanding what it is they're doing. In the past, you know, just like, hey, how was your weekend? Great. All right, good. All right, let's jump into work. Now it's like, what would you do this weekend? You know, it's checking to make sure they have a life. It's also putting in metrics that I wouldn't have checked before. This week, I just actually went over time off for my team, analyzing the first six months. Are they taking enough time off? You know, in the past, I never even looked at that. Are you taking enough time off? I mean, it's just uh, amazing how, yeah, things have changed in a lot of ways where I feel in a remote environment, you really have to pay much more attention to the well-being of your team more than you would have in, in, the, uh, in the office. Yeah, and it's, um, you, you have to pay more attention and it's obviously a, a much, much uh, tougher to do to be able to have that connection that in the office you might look at somebody and say, oh, you know, they they're having a bad day or, or they're, they're a bit deflated or you can get that, that sense quite quickly. Um, so, so what are, what are some of the way, some ways that you've um, started to do that in a virtual environment with, with your teams? We have one-on-ones every week uh, I have with everybody on my team and they're not really work focused. I mean, yeah, we talk about work of course, but a lot of it's just kind of shooting the breeze. Uh, I have an analyst that's going to Europe for vacation, going to Berlin. She likes chocolate. It's like, hey, you should go to the Ritter Sports Store. We can make your own. And she's like, what? I can do that? I'm like, yeah. So, you know, we're having those conversations. Or this week as a team, we've just been uh, talking about different types of foods. And we realize everybody on the team's like spicy food. So it's like, hey, when we do the on- on-site sometime at the end of the year, let's go out. Let's go get spicy food. And I said, Hey, we hit our targets. I'm going to get you guys all my favorite hot sauce, send it out to you for Christmas gifts. You know, those kind of conversations, it makes it much more, I think it makes work more personable. And, you know, in the past being in the office, there was always just this, Hey, don't get too close to the team. They got to respect you. Don't be, don't be their friend. You know, you're the boss. So keep a bit of separation. Now it's like, Hey, I, I need to ensure that this person is feeling okay. So yeah, there there are things that that we do in the background. The, the people's team really does a great job at, at Shipwell, where yeah, they are telling me, hey, how much vacation time are people taking? In fact, I was told I'm not taking enough. Uh, I only took two days in the last six months. Wow. Uh, but you know, everyone else is like taking a little over a week. So I'm like, hey, this is good. I know we're coming into summer, so that number will bump up dramatically. But also looking at how many how many meetings are they in? Are they being at a level that would burn them out? After hours meetings, how many is going on? I made it an effort to make sure we had the best 
after hours uh, record in the company. So last quarter, we actually had zero after hour meetings for my team. So wow, I was happy about that because it's like, hey, yeah, I know you got a life. I'm not going to have you sitting here working at like, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night. None of that stuff. It's five o'clock. And well, we actually have what I call core hours. I try and schedule all the meetings between 10 and, and four. And so I say, that's the window I will schedule. I'm not going to ask you to get up early in the morning at like six to do stuff. I'm not going to have you stay late. Just remember in that time period, I will schedule the meetings. And also taking an interest in their, their career. You know, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always saying it's like, hey, we all need money. I get that. What are you trying to get out of this job? beyond the money. What is it I can do to help set you up to get that? And so everybody's different and it's just coming up with what's that personal roadmap for them. And also giving them recognition in front of the rest of the company. We do all hands every two weeks. And I'm always saying like, Hey, you know, we had this great performance. Look at the savings. We got our customers on this one product. And by the way, that was our data scientist, Drew, who created that algorithm that, that got these customers a savings. Yeah. They like getting that kind of acknowledgement. But it, like I said, when it comes to the career path there, it's, it's also a balance. You got to be really direct with them too sometimes. It's not all fluffy stuff. Uh, you know, Someone will say, hey, I want a 40% raise this this quarter. And it's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I understand you want more money. Let's figure out how to get you more money. What are you doing that that's great? And what do you got to do to get the recognition you need to get those bigger raises? Mm. And I find that that open frankness really helps. And yeah, some people find it a bit blunt, but a lot of people find it refreshing that you're giving them the honest story. And then they can trust what you're saying. And it's so, it's so helpful. It's, um, it's really kind to be able to provide that, that clarity um, because it's, it's, it is hard to come by. Um, and it sounds like even when you need to have uh, what, what could be sort of big adjustments in expectations um, of, of people's um, um, thoughts or, or career aspirations that you're able to do that in in a in a really I guess nice and collaborative way because of the the relationship that you establish and then the the track record of openness and and trust uh, that that you've that you've been able to create um, do do any uh, any big adjustments come come to mind uh, that you could tell us on on how those those conversations went down? Yeah, you know, I, I have a data scientist who's pretty young, and it's been an adjustment for, for both of us because he's really good, but lacks confidence in himself. Mm. So it's always just, you know, just slowly nudging him and saying like, hey, you did great here. This is good. And I was, and just tell him, it's like, I told him, I said, you know what? I was in my mid-30s before I actually felt like I knew what the hell I was doing. Mm. I always doubted myself, too. And then you get to a point where you're just like, hey, actually, I, I'm doing good things. Why should I doubt myself? I said, eventually, it'll hit that point, too. But it's also an adjustment for me because 
this is a guy, this is like his first job out of school. And when I've built my teams in the past, I always went for more experienced people. I paid them really well, you know, yeah. people with uh, gray hair or no hair on their heads. <laughs> so I, this, you know, dealing with the, the, the younger people, I, they would come in much later into the hiring process. And usually there was a layer in between me and them. So there, there's a bit of an adjustment for me too, just to understand, you know, if I'm making jokes that referencing the nineties, some of these kids look at me with blank stares, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Love it. So, yeah, oh. it's, yeah, I, I was listening to the, to the radio and I heard this song I said, yeah, I heard this song for the, the first time. Never heard it before. And one of the kids, he goes, oh yeah, that came out in 2003. I was in elementary school. I was like, geez, I was in grad school. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, those, those comments definitely, definitely hurt. <laughs> um, but that's, that's really nice in terms of um, nudging, nudging people um, when they need it to, um, to have greater confidence in themselves um, that then obviously helps them uh, feel better and, and be a little bit more visible if they want to. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a challenge in, in a remote world because how do you really motivate someone when you can't sit there and have a lot of those conversations you would have had in the past. And that's where those one-on-ones come into play, just having it much more of a, more of a coffee chat, really. Not so much uh, chatting about lots of different things. Uh, you know, that particular data scientist, like, you know, we were talking about like hot sauce and, yeah. uh, you know, he lives in Austin. I live in Minnesota. So, I was, you know, he's talking about all this stuff. I go, well, you know, I live in Minnesota. You know, anything hotter than a bell pepper, most people up here think it's too hot. So <laughs> I, I don't got the selection you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes total sense. I had, um, I had a senior data scientist that for a while was adamant that um, he wanted to become a, a manager. And he was like, I want to do it. I want to do it. And we worked um, we worked on a very similar structure and identifying what they were doing well, identifying the areas where uh, they, they needed to grow a little bit and came up with a, with a plan. Then uh, came the, the experience. So we trialed it. Uh, had a lot of feedback through the trial, did, I want to say, maybe a year and a half, maybe two years of, of trying and adjusting. And, and then at the end, uh, we both came to the conclusion was like, maybe either not or, or not yet. Um, and and he, uh, through the process, he really realized that um, he loves being an expert, loves being deep into the tools deep into the problems and uh, the problem solving. And it was, what, what, what surprised me about the process is that it brought us closer together to go through it and in, in, in a transparent manner, uh, how, how you were talking about the, the, the approach that you take. Um, going, taking that approach is, has brought us closer together, given, giving us a better understanding of each other, of how we can collaborate and Throughout the whole process, our working relationship got better and better, and, and continues to do that today. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't mean that everyone will sort of get everything that they necessarily want. But it's about exploring um, those options and and seeing whether it's a right fit 
and, and, and making sure that people are engaged and challenged and happy. Um, yeah, it was, I, yeah, it was interesting. So there you go. I, I think that a lot of people in the data and analytics space make the uh, mistake thinking that leadership is just an extension of what they're doing as an individual contributor. And this is something I, I hired a guy about a month ago, two weeks in. Uh, so the other members of the team were telling me, hey, you got to talk to him. Sounds like he's got some some questions. So I was like, hey, you got any questions for him? He's like, no, not really. I go, that's not what I'm hearing. Want to talk? He's like, I'm still trying to figure you out. And so we started talking and we came down to leadership style and I said, hey, look, as an individual contributor, your role is completely different from mine. Um, I said, what I spend my time focusing on is so different from yours. It, it's almost like, are we even on the same team you know, sometimes? Yeah. I said, your job is really about control. You got to control the model, the data, the processes. My job is really about accountability. I don't control people because to me, that never ends well. I, I don't like being controlled. I don't think most people like being controlled. They like being able to express themselves and have their experience that they're trying to live. My job is to figure out how do I facilitate that experience they want? with a benefit for the company and the customers, where's that crossover where we can all benefit and figuring out how to be responsible for that process in the team. I said, that's really my job. It's, I said, I don't control because he was, he came from an environment where he was kind of used to being told, okay, after step one, do step two, step three. And I'm, I'm like, no, I hired you to, I, I frame the problems up for you. I work with you on that. We understand all the assumptions then you go put your brain power to figure out what is the solution. I said, that's what I'm hiring for. And I said, you know what? That's part of the human experience. There's always going to be a little struggle. You know, this utopia of everything great. I said, I don't think I'd ever want to live in that world. Yeah. The, I said, the, the, the things that, that I look back and say, I feel good about that. What I accomplished. Yeah. There was some struggle there. None of it ever came easy. So I said, that's part of this whole process of working on this team too. We're, we're solving problems, tough problems. And when you get through the other end and you got the solution, you're going to feel great. That's great. That is, that is a, that is a great, a great lesson um, that it's going to continue to pay dividends for, for the rest of their career, um, essentially to own the problem um, and, and be, be proactive about putting your, your, your mental energy into the, the solutions and bringing, bringing um, something new to the world. Uh, and then additionally, understanding the, the differences between the, the work of a um, team member versus the work of the leader, uh, which uh, as you said, like it's, it's, it's so different that um, the, at least I, I feel and keen to get your thoughts that the, the um, working as an individual contributor in this space doesn't really prepare us for the leadership positions. Um, I think that there's, there's big gaps there. And in, I'm, not, I'm not sure how we can better address those gaps and better, better prepare people uh, for, for the ones that do want to make that, that jump. Um, I sometimes sit with, with team members that they come and ask me or we start discussing, they're like, what is, what is a day in, in your life look like? 
And, and I was telling them, definitely focusing on, on accountability, uh, focusing on, on the relationship side, uh, focusing on almost like the, the marketing of, of analytics um, capabilities and the returns that we've been able to create uh, for, the, for the organization and, and continue to find areas of further development through, through that. And they were like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I'm totally getting them to see the, the difference. But um, keen on your thoughts, Edward, how, um, what do you think about how we can better prepare um, leaders in, in our space? Um, yeah, I, I, like I often think the focus of a lot of the schools is completely incorrect, at least where I live. Uh, and they don't like me when I bring that up. But I find that they focus so much on like coding and tech stacks. And I'm like, yeah, that, that, that's important. But like right now, we're hiring for a senior data scientist. And when I was talking to recruiting, I said, look, no matter what level they're at, to be successful in this space, I think they need three things, whether you're the leader or a junior data scientist. First is creativity. If you don't look at this space as, as a creative endeavor, I don't think you'll be happy because I just look at it as like problems we solve are always about how, how do you really look at it from outside the box? I mean, yeah, we could create another Me Too recommender that just everybody else has, but how do we create something that's unique that really resonates with customers? You know, I, you know everyone always talks about Uber and they, oh, they created this app that you know, automated getting a taxi. Well, no, that was, that already existed. They removed uncertainty. So they thought a little bit outside the box. There was creativity there. So, you know, you can look on the map, see when your car is arriving and you can see who the driver is, what the car is. They removed the uncertainty. That was, that was really the magic in my opinion. The, the other is uh, they got to have curiosity. If you're not naturally going out there, just looking up stuff, going down different rabbit holes, exploring things, you know, I, I do this all the time. And then all of a sudden it's like four hours go by and you're like, oh, well, there goes my afternoon. <laughs> but that, that's a good thing in this space to just, and, you know, you see that, I, you know, I've got data scientists where like today they were like, one of them was showing me. He was getting a little creative with K-means clustering because he had read some some very you know variable ways to use it, and I was just like, well, yeah, I mean, this is interesting, and it's like now let's figure out how can we actually apply this to the business case we're trying to use this for. Mm. And you know, the last one is also openness and openness to other perspectives. Mm. And I always tell the team, I was like, look, you don't have to agree, but you have to acknowledge it, and say, yeah, I I, I see that perspective, and. I, here's the values I see out of it. And here's where I think there's some detractors to it, but don't just sit there and outright say, now nah, you're wrong. That that's, that, that's a stupid idea. So you got to entertain it. And I, I said, never start with the, the negatives. I was like, look, there's a lot of ideas I worked on where if you looked at it, 90% of it just sounded like a crazy, stupid idea, but that 10% that wasn't that that's where the money was. Yeah. And I think at whatever level you're at, if you've got those three things in spades, you'll do great. So I think that's something we need to focus on. I like for me, myself, I like hiring physics majors because they're really good at problem solving and philosophy majors because they're also really good at problem solving, but they solve problems in very different ways. You put those two together, 
yeah, you've got a good combo. Very, very interesting. I haven't hired philosophy majors actually uh, in this space. I've, I've worked with, I want to say one, um, but yeah, I haven't. Um, that's, that's the I've, thing. The physics majors you find left and right. The philosophy yeah. majors you don't. And that's because of their own choosing not to be in the space. And I think to their detriment, because when you really start thinking about where things are going, like particularly in the retail space, a lot of behavioral science, social sciences should be in the mix, but also understanding is like, hey, what's the overall impact from a social perspective of what it is we're doing here? When I was at Target, I worked on a project where we were trying to figure out devices tied to a household level. And we got to like an 80% accuracy rate, which is pretty good. At the time, the yeah. vendors were like 30%. And then the question was, hey, tell us who in the household is using that, even though they're not logged in. I'm like, Time out here. Time for a little philosophical debate about how creepy that is. Yeah. I said, imagine I come to your house and say, hey, you were looking at this. And by the way, your wife was looking at that. None of you were logged in. You're going to be like, how the hell did you know that? And maybe I shouldn't be going to your website. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of aspects, like when it comes to just the how far should you really take it, uh, you know, getting into morality, ethics, philosophy, I think comes into play. Plus, for me, I found if you take a lot of philosophical uh, terms and concepts and apply them to data, they actually make a lot of sense to explain what's going on. So, you know, like the Diderot effect is a good one. Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, this guy who helped make the, the first encyclopedia, and he was given a bunch of money, bought himself a nice robe. Everything else he had looked like crap compared to his new robe. So he went out, blew all his cash on new stuff, and ended up back to being poor. Well, think about it from a lot of tech teams. I've seen this over and over again, where it's like, they they put in their Spark cluster, Hadoop cluster. It does what they want. It's all cool. Then they just go on the spending spree. And then, hey, let's go into the cloud. Let's do crunch computing in the cloud. And then they get their first AWS bill. And it's like, oh, that's a lot bigger than we were quoted. <laughs> it's essentially the same con the Diderot concept in technology. And yeah. it's like, hey, are you are you cognizant of this? that you're falling into this trap, you know, and another, you know, like when you go to Ikea, they've got those rooms designed, you know, you go in there for a lamp and you walk out with a bunch of other stuff. Cause like, Oh, well, this looks good. And that looks good. Well, I like how that looks in that room. Oh yeah. So true. I, 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 I yeah. found that uh, philosophy concepts are really good to help, especially when you're talking to people that are not in the space, it just helps to translate things very well. Yes. That's such a great point. Um, and you yourself studied on the on the humanities side with with your studies, is that right? How how did you find the the transition uh, into the the more analytical side? Um, so I yeah I my undergrad is in international business and language studies as a double major and a minor in theology. Nice. Which uh, so I went to a real, you know a. Uh, Catholic school, so you every you know you kind of got it. If you just took a couple more classes, you got a minor in theology. I actually found it a really fun subject to study. It's like for every question you answer, you get another three to take its place. 
And that, that I, uh, so my first job was actually as a market analyst in Europe and was in the Netherlands and then Spain. And I actually found that that education was very helpful because I felt that a liberal arts uh, degree that I got really taught me how to think. Mm. So I could really ask the questions and really work through the process and understand what's, what's actually going on here and what should be the end state. And that's still true today, what I'm doing. It's like, hey, what's the future of logistics? Well, that, that's a tough question, especially in this volatile world. So you got to think through and really weigh all those variables. It's not a simple math equation. It's really a, well, okay, how is the war in Ukraine affecting everything? What happens if China starts shutting ports down? What happens if the railroad uh, union goes on strike next month, like some people are saying? Yeah, how does that affect everything? The, these are variables you have to weigh and really think through. And I, I really feel that in some ways, the, the world that we live in around data and digital is actually a detriment to a lot of people because it's so easy to go online, just do some searching, where I think that if you yes. really take the time to do some deep thinking, it's much better for you. So I go for a walk most mornings uh, for about an hour and a half out in the woods. I run into more deer than people. And it's just a great time just to think about some, you know, a topic and, you know, just spend 90 minutes just really thinking about it. I have my phone just track my steps, but other than that, I'm not using it. And I think a lot of people need to do that more often. Uh, there's a great book called The Shallows by uh, Nicholas Carr, who, who goes into just how technology kind of just dumbs us down. And I'm like, yeah, he, he's right. Taking time to just step away from the screen is really important. I completely agree. And, and I find myself even my, like I find myself sometimes just thinking, oh, somebody's figured this out. I'll just look it up where it, it, it would have it would be way more rewarding cognitively to spend the sometimes short amount of time that it would take to to cross that cross that bridge um yeah and of, yeah you know, i know. do that with my team i tell them i say you know i always tell them because if you like if you looked at my schedule you just see like back-to-back -back meetings like all day and i tell them don't be like me work yeah. 90 minutes then step away from the computer and go do something else get your mind away from work i was like look if it, you want an ice cream get an ice cream if you want to go to the walk or the gym do that, but get away from the screen yeah. and go do something else. And I, I'm pretty adamant about that. So when we do the ones on ones, I'm always looking at their schedule and being like, ah, it looks like you're kind of back to back here on Thursday. What's going on? You know, maybe, maybe you shot a, take a little time on Thursday, just to put a focus time block in there and just, you know, I was like, I don't care if you're online or not. Cause you know, I always tell them, get your stuff done on time. I, you know, I don't need you sitting there at your desk from nine to five, get your stuff done on time. You figure out your schedule and what works best for you and, you know, allowing that flexibility, I think really helps, but reminding them step away from the, the computer is also very important. And I don't think a lot of managers understand that they just think, you know, they got to grind it out, sit there, cranking stuff out. Now their productivity will go down. They need those breaks. 
Yeah, and especially if you want to be um, doing some creative problem solving, some innovation, bringing bringing something new. And as you mentioned, it's one of the the core tenets of of our space, the the creativity side. You need you need that um, that downtime, that unplug and, and relaxation. Um, to be to be able to fuel that, and I think that with with um, uh, the the fact that you've organized time core time where the meetings will be scheduled, you you kind of inherently create um, a bit of focus time there every day where people know that they won't be having a meeting until at least ten, and then that after four there is no more meetings, um, so they can. They can pick when to when to have some longer schedule time, which which I think is fantastic. I think it's a really really great practice, um, and also for yourself, the the long walks in the woods, outstanding. That's um, that's that's phenomenal. Yeah, how how long have you been doing that? Oh, two years. It was thanks to uh, lockdown. I mean, before that, I was just like, yeah, like most people, just sitting there, going to work. Then you go to the gym. But yeah, the gym shut down and I was just like, Hey, you know, I, I still got to move. And I was like, well, I, you know, I live in an area that's got lots of trails. So I was just looking on the map and I just started going down the different trails. And I was like, realize, Hey, there's actually like this whole wooded area. I completely just drive past and ignore that. It's just great to walk. And there there's creeks in there. The noise from the Creek just drowns out the noise of civilization and yeah, you feel like you're far away from everybody else in there. And like I said, I'm like today, what I ran into like three people over Amazing. an hour, over an hour and a half. Mate, that is inspirational. And and um very similar story for me. Like I don't do the walk though, but there is um a big bushland very close uh, to where I live uh, that I drive by quite often usually kind of like mentally ignore it to go oh yeah it's nice and there whatever i gotta get somewhere um so this is this is really great um i know that we are we're coming up on time but i did want to ask you about um any any um about when you help people craft their career um and you and you um spend that time understanding uh, their goals their ambitions and then helping them determine next steps and and areas of of improvement um what are some things that that you think more people should be thinking about uh or or a different perspective that people don't usually take when when approaching uh, a a design of their career uh something that that you think and you've seen people benefit from Um, what what would be something they should be thinking about i usually get from doesn't matter. Engineers, data scientists, analysts, when I say you got to learn to sell yourself and and do some personal branding, they're like, oh, I, I don't do that sales and marketing stuff. That That's not for me. And I'm like, yeah, I used to think that too, but you're shooting yourself in the foot when you don't do that. I'm like, I'm not telling you to go out there and brag. I'm just telling you to go out there and acknowledge what you've done and just let the let the evidence speak for itself. So the, the metrics are, are really important. And so I said, let them, let the numbers do the talking for you. So I said, yeah, you can sit there and say, I did this, I did that. But if you start throwing out numbers and say, here is the impact, here's the results. I was like, that's going to do the selling for you. And it's going to be a lot easier for you. So, yeah. And we really focus on impact metrics. 
So all our key metrics are focused on how are we influencing our customer? We don't add anything about like uptime, how fast the model runs, you know, how many story points or features we did. I'm like, nobody cares. I said, no customer cares. They want to know. It's like, yeah, we've got an optimizer tool at Shipwell. We've saved customers hundreds of thousands of dollars in just a couple months. We're, We're saving hundreds of tons of carbon by helping them optimize their routes. So they're like, hey, we can talk about this as sustainability. And it's like, yeah. And I'm like sitting there going, we're saving hundreds of tons of carbon. I, I don't know. To me, that sounds like a lot. And it's not like we've got like hundreds of customers. We're talking because, I mean, we just launched this thing. So we're talking just dozens. Yeah. But as we we can show that, I'm like, look, you can take these numbers and show, hey, I built this. I created this impact. Yeah. And I said, it makes selling your, what you've done and what your value is a lot easier because you let the numbers speak for you. Hmm. Yes. And what, what changed your mind that took you from thinking, oh, I don't, I don't do that to, to now seeing the benefits? So the last recession, uh, I kind of was just, so yeah, you know, I was doing international business, went to grad school for that too. Uh, was really good in grad school and life was just kind of good coasting by, you know, enjoying things, not really having too much to worry about. Then the recession hit and yeah, I got taken out in the fourth round of layoffs and I'm looking around and I'm saying, there are people with way more experience than me who could dance circles around me in terms of their experience who are struggling. What am I doing to show my value? And yeah, you have to really take an honest look and, and make those adjustments. And that's really how I got into this whole space too. It's just, uh, I was working at a small company and then somebody from Best Buy in, in the area where I live, we were talking personalization. I went in for an interview, got the role. And as they said, you're going to build out personalization. And I started looking at big data, data science. And this is 2011. I said, this is the future. I'm putting my bets here. And a lot of people are like, oh, you're really smart. I was like, smart and lucky. Let's not forget the the role of luck. I I don't want to be that person who's arrogant and says, yeah, I was, I I figured it all out. It's like, no, there's, there's luck in there. So I, you know, I rode that wave. I hit that wave just perfect. And what, you know, the decisions I made at Best Buy were right. I mean, we were making money hand over fist. We processed more data than the rest of the company combined. Uh, We were part of their turnaround strategy and people noticed that. And yeah, my career just kind of took off in this space. And then after a while, I just got tired of being in the big companies. I wanted to do stuff because I felt like I was doing corporate politics. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I'm at, at a smaller company now. And yeah, it, it's fun. It, it, there's not going to say it's stress-free. I mean, there's always a challenge to deal with in a small company, but I feel like, you know, a company like Shipwell, it, it's in a good position and, you know, it's, it's a fun group of people to work with. Right. I love it. I love it. That is really, um, really insightful around um, getting people to, think about an area that they often reject, um, sometimes rejecting without exploring it uh, in terms of being able to 
talk about the the impact and the value that they're providing um, i think that's that's great the focus on on impact and value is also excellent uh, instead of focus on on activity um, focusing on on the the outputs um, that and what it does for the organization is is fantastic and yeah it, it it's definitely something that that more people should consider um, regardless of their level because yeah at, at the leadership uh, perspective it helps you provide structure to the team so are you gonna well, say it's well it's all i think the the most important thing that i would say to anybody is you know so some people they like they're like well you're a data scientist i said no and i never call myself one data science is a tool i use to help create experiences if anything i craft experiences and I help people find the experience that they're looking for. Because at the end of the day, what am I really selling? If it's logistics, retail, financial services, you name it, I'm selling an experience. Look, nobody buys an Xbox just to have it sit in their living room and say, check it out. I got an Xbox. You know, here it's like, you know, when it snows, you got the kids contained. They're going to tear the house up. You got the 20 year old thinking about playing the latest call of duty against their friends. It's an experience they're buying. Same thing when I'm shipping food to a store, we're heading into father's day here this weekend. What am I doing? Hey, making sure that there's enough steaks and brats for them to do their grilling, yeah. making sure that they can go to the beach and not get sunburned. I'm helping sell experiences to me. That's really exciting. And that to me is much bigger than just saying, well, I'm just working on this algorithm. No, I'm actually impacting people's lives. And I like that aspect of it. And I think when you think about it that way, it really gives purpose and meaning to your work. And that's what I try and instill in my team. It's like, hey, we're actually doing something here. We're not just making algorithms, you know, doing ETLs on, on data. We're impacting people's lives. Hmm. And yeah, and it's also there's a responsibility to it. You can't just sit there saying, "Yeah, I'll do this later," or "Ah, so what? It it failed. It's a good learning experience." It's like that failure may have cost somebody something. Yeah. What did it cost them? And the same thing with my my uh, customers, direct customers, the businesses. Who's that logistics manager that I'm trying to help? Some of these people, they're just kind of given that title. I got to help them look good and feel like they're confident in their role by giving them the right tools and the right data and information that they can take action on. So they go to their CFO and CEO and say, hey, we should make this decision because of X, Y, and Z information I'm getting here. They look good. They feel good. And then they want to do business with us more. That, I think, when you have that mindset, that's what makes things really exciting and, and fun. Instead of just saying like, yeah, I'm working on algorithms. Yeah. So true. <laughs> so true. Um, and that's, that's, yeah, something else that I'm, I'm taking away from my conversation is the, uh, the focus on reducing uncertainty through our work um, and, and taking that at a, at a broader context level. Um, it's Well, it's, that goes to that experience. If I'm trying to help yeah. you, have an experience, I have to remove uncertainty. It's inspirational. It's um, like literally, yeah, all of the, the data science work, data analytics work can be seen in this lens and um, it helps expand the, the mindset 
um, the the focus and the perspective of people to um, to care about the humans on the other end, to have a bigger impact, to kind of like shorten the gap between start to finish when you think about what what the what the end result is actually going to be. Um, it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, and that's what makes it fun. That's why I'm still in it 10 plus years later. I love it. I love it. Well, that is an excellent note to end on. Edward, I want to thank you so much uh, for your time, for sharing your knowledge, your experience, your insights there. Truly, truly phenomenal, super valuable. And I think we have all gotten a lot out of this conversation. I know I definitely have. So thank you so much uh, for everything you shared with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.